Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place to learn about the latest insights and trends of property, technology, business building and contract drafting. Today, I'm excited to have George Robson on the show, former England rugby player now working in sales. Welcome to the show. Would you like to share a bit of background about yourself and how you got into rugby? It's a great question about how I got into rugby. I think being the biggest kid at school really helps. So I was enormous as a child and I, I did all that. And I, I'm very lucky to to have a professional career down, down at Harlequins. Where I spent the majority of my career and we won some trophies. It was great experience. And then I did a year in France as well, which we talk about quite a lot, Charles, obviously. We have some funny shared references there we can always explore and kick around. But that was amazing. Then I came back and retired. I, I, I did a few different things in sports nutrition, did some other bits as well in, in consultancy with recruitment. And, and I, then I worked out there was a lot about the world I really didn't know. So I did an MBA. And then when I did my MBA, I worked out, okay, I, I want to be in this sort of technology ecosystem because it's so exciting, so many fast moving things. And it's an area I'm passionate about. My current role at Gartner, I speak with, with startups. I'm selling effectively access to research and advisory services and analyst access and insights all around technology, which is amazing because I get to speak to people who are like you, Charles, who are absolutely crazy. Uh, going on, taking on the world, disrupting, being innovative with what you're doing. And I get to chat to all these different people, which I absolutely love. And there's lots of similarities, right, between being in, in, a, in a sort of group of 30 people and you're going out and you feel like, you know, you're going out, you want to be the best, you're taking on the world. There are, you know, there are teams that, 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 are, that are higher up the league table you're, you're going after. So there's lots of kind of similarities I've found, maybe not on the physical side, but definitely in the psychological side, being patched up, I'd imagine, yeah. Great, great to be on the show. Thank you, George, for being on the show. And you always have lots of great stories to share and also lots of tips, especially, as you said, around the psychology of sport applied to business. So you've had mm -hmm. um, two careers or you've been in two different worlds. Uh, we usually ask, what's your favorite moment? I, I think my favorite moments from rugby, that they fit in the same bucket where you've played a game and you've won against the odds and you're celebrating with the crowd on the pitch. I think that's your moment as a rock star, right? As a rugby player is when, you know, you, you look at Live Aid and Freddie Mercury and he's cheering the crowd and they're all happy. Because in the game, you, you, to be completely honest with you, you're getting your head kicked in. It's very physical. You haven't got time to enjoy it and think about it. There's a couple of games where afterwards, like we beat Toulouse away. That's a real highlight. We were never meant to. We did, you know, we, we probably shouldn't have done it, but we did. And then the away crowd were there. That was amazing. And obviously, then when you win trophies and stuff like that as well, like a Twickenham, 82,000 people, won a premiership and you're taking the trophy around. It's those kind of moments that you go, they're the best, the most enjoyable. And again, those are the bits you look back on. You see a photo and you go, wow, this is incredible. Within my second career, I suppose, so far within Gartner, the, the best moment would be when I got my first client to, to come on board. That, you know, amazing company and small boutique consultancy. And just having that moment where the, the, the guy was like, yeah, what we want to move forward with this. And going from, again, it's a bit like a bit of a sort of shock. Wow, amazing. You know, you've been working so hard, I've been working so hard, I've been building up to it. I, it felt like everything was impossible. And he, he got the value proposition, he really loved it. He's a former CTO of a large global company, so he really understood Garner, which really helped me. And then when he said yes, I just remember being like, this is probably one of the greatest feelings ever. It really is comparable in terms of like, come on. The only difference was, the only difference was, I was fist bumping in the flat I was living in at the time, in front of a mirror in front of myself. So it wasn't quite the same. <laughs> But it definitely felt the same in terms of the adrenaline rush and, 
and, and that amazing feeling where, yes, I've managed to achieve a goal. So that was great, I think. The first win in sales is always important. And, and no matter how small the contract yeah, or how big the contract, it, it, it is always special. So how did you find the transition from sport to business? There are so many bits. I, th I think I learned as I went, I learned by doing and having a crack. <laughs> it's, it's, such a difficult one. it's such a difficult one to answer because I think there are some really transferable bits of rugby and sport and, and, and especially at elite level that are brilliant that you can take on into business, especially in an environment like sales. But there are also bits that just that, that don't transfer at all. You can't have a disagreement with someone and have a dust up on the training pitch in an office. That's a very simple, you know, uh, ridiculous sort of example. But there are lots of others where when you step into the business world, there's a lot more complexity that you really need to understand and you need to appreciate, you need to kick around that, that might not be obvious. I think in professional sports, certainly in the sport I was involved in, you, you can have that narrow focus and understanding the context of everything else around you is probably it can sometimes be less important. You don't need that understanding of everything else around you in that context, whereas you don't necessarily have to take responsibility. It depends on the sport, depends on your role within the team, and it varies. Like in rugby, it varies by position, so I had responsibilities with data and stuff like that with the line-out, so I took that seriously, but it's just there are levels to that, and I think when you go into business, you sort of look at data, you look at analytics, you look at predicting things, you look at the area I'm in now, like the technology, those sort of things, that doesn't just naturally transfer. You have to work on basics like accounting or net present value of money. You don't learn that on a training pitch, sadly. Otherwise, my life would have been a lot easier. So there's been there's some gaps you've got to fill. But the good things, I think, are that you can understand that if you are able to access brilliant people and understand and learn from brilliant people in brilliant environments, then you're able to apply the habit and, and the discipline to the science behind what works and understand you've got that kind of dedication that's ingrained in you because you just have to slog it out on a training pitch on a Tuesday for 13 years in the freezing cold. So when someone says, oh, maybe you do this in your process, it's a sales process, something like that, you're very coachable. You go, great, this is brilliant. I'm going to get my head kicked in. Fantastic. You know, it's all relative. Yeah. I think one reason why I like Oxford so much, and it's where we met George, is that it's just a place where there are lots of people who have a little bit of experience and you can transfer that knowledge and expertise over. I also think that although startups aren't physical, there is a degree of physicality in them. Chatting with a guy on a call in the last few weeks and the, and the conversation was along the lines of, but as long as you can take pleasure in the dying part, it's a great thing to be in. Those guys are early stage, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that. And I, I've never been a founder. You're a founder of a startup, but I don't think there's a world where you've got that agency over your future, but you, you pay for that agency, right? Because it's your neck on the line and you really own that. So I, I really like that dynamic. I don't know how you feel about it. We've not spoken in great depth about it, but I love that dynamic where you have the right to make your decision. You earn that agency and that control, but it is about earning it because you, you, ultimately it's, it's your ship, isn't it, that you're, that you're sailing. So how, how do you look at it? Do you look at it in the same sort of way? You must love it. Yeah, I definitely love the agency and the freedom, but I do think that you're on a ship and it's very foggy and you're going to go quickly, but at the same time, you're also blindfolded. So yeah, that's the startup life. But I do think that it is very rewarding. It's also very rewarding to, you know, see a, the company grow, the team grow. And I think as long as you have the right team, the right attitude and a good control of how slowly you are dying, then it, it definitely increases your chances of 
finding that path which will you know help you get out there and and, and ultimately get some traction legislate helps businesses and people create contracts on no legal budgets so i was interested in knowing what type of contracts have you interacted with throughout your career? It's quite an interesting one. What I've found to be interesting is rugby as a sport is coming into a bit more maturity now. The game turned professional in, I think it was 95 or 97. And then it, it, when it said the game turned professional, again, that's a bit like in the inverted commas, turned professional because basically guys went from being a normal bloke who's got a job to then we're going to pay you to play rugby, which is, which is great. And also hilarious, Charles, because you then went from coaches going, Right, so what do you do on a weekend? Okay, so you knock seven bells out of each other, right? So now we're paying you. You're going to do that in the week as well. And that genuinely, that's what literally happened, is my understanding. Guys went from, you know, going to normal jobs, playing a game at the weekend, to then apparently be doing contact all week and everything else under the assumption that, okay, if we're paying you to do this, uh, <laughs> you've got to do rugby, you know, so you've got to play rugby in the week as well to train so that this will make sense. And so with that maturity and, and that side of things, that's going to be reflected in the contracts and, and, and the interest in the game, the money that's flooded into the game. You can see more recently, you've got CBC been involved from the private equity side in terms of the, 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 the investment in rugby. AWS now, or Prime, now having the, the, the international rugby rights. There's more interest, more sponsorship, more money. And with that, I suppose you're going to get complexity or an increased level of complexity. So I just, in preparation for this, I just did a bit of reflection on the discussion that would be had from the agent. So you speak with your agent about, okay, I'm going to get my contract, you get, get to your number that you want, agree the terms and that side of things. Not incredibly complex at all. And then what the, the Premier Rugby, what they did is they did an agreement with the clubs to basically standardise a lot of the contract, pretty much all of these contracts, to standardise them so that the players were, okay, this will be okay because you're a rugby player. You don't know much about legal. You've got no idea. You'd just be like, yeah, sure, fine. My agent said it's fine. Ooh. But then the discussion with the agent would be, this has been standardised. And it was. And so they obviously had to standardise these contracts after a while. And then they standardised them. And then obviously as things have gone on, people are putting in clauses. There are different things, you know, things such as image rights and all these other pits that have come into it. And then at an international level as well, they've got a separate player agreement there as well. I think it'd be quite interesting is... When you look at things like image rights or a player's brand in sport, um, you can see Jay-Z's agency just got involved recently with a, with a few of the players who are playing at the top level of England right now. Th that would, I imagine, you know, the contracts that they have, I imagine there'll be a lot of complex. I wish I could tell you, Charles, from all my enormous pages and pages of contracts that I had with all of my sponsors that I was a, a real big dog, but sadly I, I wasn't. I, had, I remember I had an agreement with uh, with Puma for a while again to get their stuff. It was very basic stuff. It was more about getting the kit. And then later on with Adidas through the Harlequins when they signed that deal, we used to get stuff with those guys. But I imagine the likes of Mario Itoji, who's, who's obviously an, an incredible athlete, and, and he's really got some real brand equity there as well, which has obviously been care carefully managed and curated. There must be a demand for, okay, where are the conflicts between my, my England contract and, and my other bits and my Saracens contract or, or whoever it is. And then on, on top of that, how do you ensure if you're a player with a brand? And Marcus Smith, the chat with Eddie Jones more recently in Radicardi, that whole scandal, right? If a player has got a big part of their value tied up in their performance on the pitch, but there is a, a wider, broader brand value now with these players and these athletes in rugby, which we've not seen before. How do you 
put that into the legal? How do you negotiate that? So there's a whole load of bits there that could be quite interesting in terms of my value as a brand to England Rugby when they put me on an advert would be less to someone else's or more. How do you put that into a contract? Anyway, I think there's, there's a whole load of really interesting things you kick around there. Yeah, I think what you said about standardization is really fascinating and, and great because legislate, we're strong believers in, in standardization. I think the word standardization doesn't do it justice because what, what it's ultimately doing is it's making it much easier for someone to accept terms. If they're standard, if it's the average, why would I want to deviate to the left or to the right? And then at legislate, what we definitely try to do is we try to standardize the wording so that it's easy to understand. We standardize the templates so that there's nothing unusual. We obviously offer the flexibility if ever someone does require a situation which is less common, but it will still be within a standard framework. So that makes negotiation much easier, much faster, yeah. much easier to process and more enjoyable. But I think that the other thing that you mentioned around when players have multiple contracts, yeah. which might be contradicting each other, how do you manage that? That's a very interesting use case for approach, which is how do you manage both the complexities within a contract and between contracts and how do you do it in a consistent way, yeah. especially when you're not a lawyer. So very interesting points from your understanding. Do you think that other sports uh, leagues or federations are pushing a standardized so, template? So I played in uh, France for you. I'm not sure. I imagine it would be honest truth. I don't know the answer to your question, but I do seem to remember thinking that in the top 14, there was some parts of it are going to be standardized, right? Just like you said, I suppose that you want it to be composable to a degree. And then add in your piece. The other bit that's quite interesting about the whole contract piece and what's legal, what isn't legal, and what's interesting about the UK is there's a salary cap thing as well. And there are other bits of legality that come in there, but that's, I suppose, a different conversation. But yeah, my, my understanding is that um, in rugby, certainly just in the UK, I just remember that sort of thing. And then with the England, it's the same for the players. But yeah, I think it'd be interesting to find that out. I think we need to get some other sports people on your podcast, my friend. We need to kind of build the picture, build it out. Absolutely. We've had F1 and now we're having rugby. And Absolutely. Who knows what we'll have on next. I'm conscious sure. that we've taken a lot of your time already. I'm going to ask you the closing question yeah. we ask all our guests. So if you're being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you? What I think um, is really important is, and again, particularly in the context of, of legislate and, and what you guys are doing, I think you want things to be very, very clear. You want to be able to understand exactly where the risks are. I've got a friend who you should have on 100% called, called Mark, who works in automotive design, right? So they've got really interesting side of this and they do, they do recruitment as well. And, and you want that friend, right? When you look at contract, because they know what's going on with these contracts, they know what to look out for. And I suppose what you guys are doing is you're able to play that role where when I look through a contract or look through something, I know there aren't any black holes I can fall down inadvertently without understanding. And it's having confidence in what you're looking at. You need to have confidence to be able to sign anything ever that what you're doing is the right thing. And the way you get confidence is by really understanding what's in front of you. Now, at the moment, a lot of people, myself included, you have to go speak to a lawyer or speak to someone who's got expertise in a certain field or whatever else that's what you want. You need to have confidence. And, and there's different ways of getting there, but understanding what's actually written is probably the most critical thing, right, in a way that's simple and easily digestible. Yeah. I think managing risk is the purpose of a contract. And if you can highlight where there is risk and in a clear, simple way, then 
you know, what you're getting into before you sign. And there are less surprises down the road. And that's something definitely at Lotus Lake we, we try to do both with the language, but also using modern software techniques, both in you know, how we represent the contract, offering different views of the contract, not just the text form, but also questions and answers. And, and soon we'll be introducing more of a, a visual uh, representation of the contract. I'd also want to know who's sending me the contract as well. That's probably the most important bit as well. It's a trust on which it's all built. If Charles, if you were sending me the contract, I would know you have my best interests at heart. So I'd just sign it instantly anyway, my, my man. <laughs> I, I think that's a good answer, actually. And I think you're the first one on the show to actually say it, it depends on who's sending the contract. Yeah. Great addition. So thank you very much, George, for being on the show. It's been a pleasure having you. Best of luck with your journey in business and technology. Absolutely. Brilliant. Happy days.